should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to this Monday. Monday, August 22nd. We're almost done with August. And uh, I can't believe it. Kenny, do you have a, a mic open? I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and our producer, Kenny, who's actually my nephew, is also in studio. So I'm happy and excited to to be doing an actual show here on this Monday. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good, good. And yourself? I'm fine. So BB Sweetbriar has been calling you out for the last couple of weeks because you've been gone and I've had to um, kind of produce my shows on my own. So <laughs> yeah. the shows haven't really been sounding so buttoned up. Um, so I wanted to share with you, you know, Kenny's been gone. It's a family affair here um, in this studio. <laughs> so how was Vegas? Vegas was intense. <laughs> it was fun and intense. I know they say that you should, you know, what, what, what stays in, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but you're more than welcome to share here on the show. You could, you could tell me how was it intense? Do you want to share? Did you get into any trouble? I was so worried and concerned for you. (laughs) No trouble. It's just every day drinking, you know, it's just no responsibilities. Oh no. Vegas (laughs) can get people in so much trouble. Yeah. (laughs) But it was a good thing you were there with your girlfriend yeah. Um. Why did you go uh, two times in in one month? Oh, the first trip with uh, it was um, a group of friends. We go every year. Boys trip. Yeah, and then and then the second one was uh my girlfriend's birthday. Oh my gosh, yeah. you're a soldier. I can't do Vegas. Um, that yeah, I guess close together. I can't do. Yeah, I can only do Vegas like once a year because Las Vegas is again, like you said, intense. There's so much going on. Um. <laughs> I'm glad you have fun, and I'm glad you're back, because now we can actually make some solid radio. Yes. Right? Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our special guest today thought we should kick this week off with some good poetry. Yeah, it should maybe make Mondays, Poetry Mondays, um, and feature, you know, uh, poems and and artists who are doing such amazing things. But I like this term that I learned from a friend of mine, artivists, artists who are also activists who are changing the way we think and making an impact in our community. And that's kind of how I see our special guest today, Arissa White, who is the author of You're the Most Beautiful Thing That Happened. Arissa, thank you so much for being with us. 
Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> I know I'm excited to be in studio and talking to you. Um, I had a great time reading through some of your work. I thought we would start off by uh, getting to know you better as uh, what I consider an artivist, by the way. Um, and, and and kind of, you know, the concept behind uh, this book of poems that you've written. Uh, so... I actually, I started this, like, collection about almost, I think, about, like, nine years ago. So I came across a, a list on Wikipedia of lists of terms for gay and lesbian and different languages. And I just started to, like, I started to look at the translations and the literal meanings. And, you know, some of the terms just sort of stood out as, as prompts to kind of, go more more deeply into some, you know, ideas around relationships and language and desire between women and women mm-hmm. loving women and men loving men. And um, and so it just also became this, this meditation on loss and thinking how, you know, the way that we label and call um, each other things and name each other, there's a loss that happens in that. Um, that our words don't fully encompass all of who we are and finding ways to kind of tell the, the deeper stories and what these words are implying to speak to kind of um, issues that have happened to the gay and lesbian community. Like, for instance, there's a poem about Sakia Gunn, a 15-year-old who was uh, killed in Newark, New Jersey in 2003. Um, as well as looking at personal narratives and my own relationships with women and men throughout throughout my my years of living, so it was really it was it was just a it was such a wonderful journey for me um, as a as a poet, um, specifically with this manuscript to really focus on queer desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it, and uh, I think the whole language part of it makes complete sense. Um, we had just talked about this the other day, I think last week actually, in which the Supreme Court um, and and many judges fully acknowledge the fact that language is actually what's tripping them up uh, from protecting LGBTQ people uh, when it comes to the courts. And so when you when you think about it from like society's perspective and how people treat each other just based off of language and how you define someone. Um, the only way I feel like we can actually break through that is to have real life uh, or lived experiences and relationships and interactions with one another. And art form is so important to do that. Um, how long have you been writing poetry? Uh, that- I think, you know, since I was in elementary school, you know, I started off writing Mother's Day cards <laughs> to, my, to my mom. And from there, um, just really fell in love with, with language. Um, I had a sixth grade teacher who was really about us, you know, learning those vocabulary words and then using them in stories and poems. And I was completely in love with a different world. And so I would, like, re, like rewrite different, like, scripts and imagine stories for like Dwayne Wayne and Jasmine and and from that just began to build up my language and how I would, you know, look at the world and as a writer, as a storyteller, as an artist, I I get to reshape it and reframe it and um, kind of open it up so that people can 
um, emotionally connect to things that seem so outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. And what about, you know, personal connections with your work? Do you share a lot of your own experiences in your work? I do. I do. Like a lot of it is, you know, you know, with my first collection, Harazna's, it's very much like a memoir and first. I am one of seven children. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and for a while, my my mom was a Rastafarian, and so, um, so like that whole first book is very much like um, chronicling my my childhood. And um, my mom was in a relationship that was abusive, so kind of you know teasing apart what does that mean when you know violence is a part of our intimate relationships. Like, how do you love? How do you make sense of yourself? Um, when you sort of see yourself as a target for violence, like who who are you outside of that lens? And um, and so you know, and then my second book looked more so at, and that book was a penny saved, and I reimagined the story of um, Polly Mitchell, who was a woman who was held captive um, in her home in Nebraska for ten years, and so so I take like my experience as you know, as a child growing up in the presence of domestic violence, and I take it to this whole other level with a penny safe, like mm-hmm. imagining captivity. And in that book, I like write from the point of view of the house, the uh, mother, the father, the oldest daughter and her imaginary uh, friend. And so I'm always like, I use the personal narrative as a base to to like sort of investigate other other aspects of who we are as humans, you know, it's like a way to sort of like sink into these things and then from there begin to imagine um, possibilities of how we can change um, different storylines or just to kind of just be present in it, you know, like what does it, what does it mean for me as a writer to occupy the point of view of someone who abuses another person? Mm. Um, What does it mean for me to sort of like feel such like brutal passion that I I would want to kill my partner, you know, like sort of being in those spaces allows for a different kind of understanding of of like human relationships and our capacity um, as humans to to destroy and create. Mm-hmm. And what about with your the most beautiful thing that happened? I mean, we started talking about this this work or body of work of yours, the most recent, and how mm-hmm. it was inspired by, I, I call it, you know, the sterile nature of language as it applies to the queer community, um, mm-hmm. because it doesn't necessarily describe us in the most authentic way. Are these uh, poems that you have for the for your The Most Beautiful Thing that happened um, inclusive of your own personal experiences and or they yeah, an, an anthology of other people's experiences that uh, you know of or have come across or have imagined? Um, they're, I mean, they're both, you know. A lot of them are, you know, I open up the kind of the book with a poem called Tale, and it's about, you know, reimagining, uh, pinning the tail on the donkey, just as a little kid, and beginning to feel those desires for, you know, the girls in your class, and you don't, you don't necessarily call it something, you just know that it's there, and it's present inside of you, and it, it drives you to connect um, in a way that goes beyond the surface, um, so a lot of, yes, like a lot of 
of these poems are very much rooted in my personal experiences and relationships. And um, even if it's just sort of like, you know, just just an emotional idea that I can can start from and then begin to imagine things um, outside of that. Um, there's like, there's one poem where, um, where a friend of mine told me about a story in Brooklyn um, where a woman killed her partner and I was just like, that is just so Othello but lesbian. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just, you know, from there, like, so that is, you know, a story told to me through someone else and then I sort of sink into it through that persona, through the eye mm-hmm. and begin to think about, you know, the, the pieces of that, like, you know, it's how we feel jealousy and then what happens when jealousy goes like to the 10th power. And then when you feel so emboldened and so empowered um, to take another person's life, what is that? What is that desire inside yourself? And that all starts from little things that we as individuals can relate to. Um, and then there's like Trip the Light Fantastic, um, which is another poem in the collection where I'm remembering the time where I went to this like really seedy like um, strip club and Tribeca with my friends. And it was like sort of one of my first experiences in a strip club. And just that, that moment of being in this space that's supposed to be for like heterosexual men and their desire only to to recognize that one of the strippers up there was a woman that I saw at, at a lesbian club like two weekends before, you know. So all of these, these ways in, in which our bodies um, can perform in one way, but then when we see it in another space, it's doing something else. Mm-hmm. And so unless you're an insider, you, um, you won't be able to kind of um, separate and see the many narratives that... Um, make, you know, sort of converge to bring a person to the present moment. Sure. So there, I mean, a lot of the poems are like that. They start from something personal and then they begin to expand outward um, beyond the personal into a more social outlook. Well, on that note, um, I'd love to hear you read some of your poems um, if you are open to it. Yeah, I'm definitely. All right, great. Well, let's take a quick break right here when we come back. Uh, we'll listen to you read some of your poems. Does that sound okay? Yes, it does. Thank you. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion and do some poetry reading right here on the Michelle Meow Show with Arissa White. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do. 
especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Monday, August 22nd. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and our special guest on the phone is Arissa White, who is a poet and uh, who's going to read us some poems of hers that we've been discussing. So, Arissa, what do you, what do you think you want to read out of You're the Most Beautiful Thing That Happened? Um, I'm going to read the poem, Gun, for Sakia Gun. Okay. Gun. Sakia, if you had the weapon of your last name, I would not know you. This steady scrape against paper to transport the gun lament never. If in your hand the pearl-handled gun my stepfather kept in the broom closet, I'll give you the aim I practiced at 12. Home is where the heart is, marks an average man's forehead, and the trash can is somewhere near his jewels. If you brought me roses in high school, wrapped in newspaper to protect me from thorns, I would take them and wash ink from my fingers in the jeans and jersey flood of your girl-boy body. Let me be your girl, forever to eternity onto my back, your fingers ballpoint in again and again, practice the heart over eye, and into the morning we stash whispers where over thread, thread crosses. I promise I have impeccable aim. Pulling a trigger loosens mustangs in your veins, piss into my mortar, an old war recipe makes bullets complete. Let your shower wash an asshole from the street. If blood quickly betrays its avenues for Newark sidewalks, his shirt tires of its thirst. If his buddy drives him to the hospital or leaves him to watch the night unspool, what a Jacob's ladder he makes. If you're shocked your life requires this exchange, come into my arms, Zakia. Come into my arms. Mm. Would you like me to read another? Sure. Well, I was actually going to ask you know kind of the oh. um, the the vision there from you know beginning um, to end. If you wanted to share anything extra about that particular reading, um, this one, you know, I for me, I was like really sinking into that sentiment of like high school love. Um, you know, when I was 16, I pretty much 
you know, came out in New York City and started going to the gay and lesbian community center for to meeting meeting with like other high school students. And so that was just like a really beautiful time. And I just, you know, remember, you know, my friends um, who very much, you know, reminded me of Sakia and us just like hanging out during gay pride and then afterwards just our separate ways. Um, and that anxiety we always felt in leaving each other because we were such a community where we felt um, that we could be fully who we are. And um, and just thinking of that, that young love. And um, as I was, like, researching sort of guns and um, just, like, how bullets are made, like, because I'd like to sort of go into these other um, avenues that sort of connect to the poem so that I can find language. And so when I was reading about, like, how bullets are made, um, I came across these, like, war recipes for making bullets and how urine was a part of it. And I thought, that's, that's great. I love how bodily that is, how visceral, just how sort of human that is, that, you know, that a part of what is wasted becomes a, 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 a major um, ingredient and in sort of taking another person's life. Um, so just really thinking about all of those different images and, um, you know, my father, my stepfather had this like really beautiful gun that um, he he owned and how I just admired it in this way for just its personal beauty, but not necessarily its destruction. So just bringing all of those, those elements together um, was, mm. was a part in creating this poem. Wow. Fascinating, um, especially, you know, just kind of hearing you talk about uh, coming out at 16 years old, and that was a good time. Uh, I mean, you hear so many stories of it not being a good time. Um, so that was very fascinating for me. What else yeah, would you like was, to read? It was really great. It was, a, it was just, you know, and I was also, because, you know, just recently I was asked to, to write something about the Pulse victims, and... Um, and I was just looking at that that list of the names and the ages, and and then just saw like um, three of the victims were like under twenty one, and uh, just thinking about that time of like getting my own like fake ID to get in the clubs in New York, and um, and just wanting to just be in 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 more communities so that I can explore those those various parts of myself and. It was it was an amazing time for me. Like I, I definitely like came out um, feeling supported and feeling held. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would you like to read for us as we're we're winding down on time? Um, I will just I will read the opening poem. It's called Tale. There are little words that can fit in little places if you say them small enough. To fit a song into a core, you have to be prepared for the day it will sweat. If words could stick to people, they would become different creatures when spoken. Blindfolded and turned five times around, nothing in you knows what it knew. This is the fun part. Prick the girls you like best while pinning the donkey's tail. Tell us about the tail. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I have my own interpretation, but I'd like to hear you first. 
Uh, well, this one is fun just because, you know, you know, you have Kale, T-A-I-L, and T-A-L-E, and T-E-L-L. And so sort of like thinking about storytelling and play and actually just like literally if like there's this way in which, you know, when you come out or you're called, you know, you're, you're gay, you're queer, all of these things, it's almost like you become this different creature. Like all of a sudden you're like separated and you're like wearing this thing on you, which is, you know, just such a false construct. And, um, and just, you know, once again, that idea of play in childhood and how we're always sort of messing with our expectations. We're always questioning our reality and, and, and in our minds and in our imagination, there is possibility for change and transformation. I love it. I love it. Uh, I mean, I saw a lot of things with it. I mean, especially the play part. Um, and I thought that that was obviously very fitting for kind of the inspiration behind why you put You're the Most Beautiful Thing That Happened Together. Um, I really, really, really appreciate your poems and, and kind of bringing this out there to, yes, the general public, but also the LGBTQ community needs that type of empowerment and reinforcement that, you know, we're more than just what's defined by the dictionary, the APA, or even laws. Like when you read mm -hmm. laws as they apply to LGBTQI people, they're so... I'm trying to find the right word. I think you would find the better word for me. It's so like, you know, it's so, it's just so not who we are. I I think yeah. queer people, LGBTQI people are eccentric and different and, um, um, you know, incredible and thoughtful and creative and artistic and colorful. There's so many other words that we could use. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, what's next for you in terms of, you know, projects? I'm and not to, you know, hey, thanks for putting this out there. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I um I'm actually I'm working on two projects. I'm working on a um a children's book. I'm a co writer, um, and we're working we're writing the biography of Bridget Biddy Mason. Um, she was a slave who was born in Georgia traveled all the way to California on foot where she petitioned for her freedom and then later became a wealthy landowner in Los Angeles. So I'm writing her um, narrative biography in verse for fourth grade readers. And um, that's, that's been just like an interesting challenge to sort of like distill mm -hmm. someone's life into poetry and then to write particularly about slavery, about someone's life that wasn't recorded. And similar to You're the Most Beautiful Thing That Happens, where language has a way of, of erasing as well as making things visible. Mm. Um, the same thing goes with, like, this, whose stories do we, we choose to tell, you know, throughout history? And then, you know, with, with slavery in particular being chattel, um, and seen as objects, you know, our stories weren't told. And so there's this huge erasure and silence, and I have to sort of write into that silence and write into that void and sort of doing all of this research on um, slavery and children who grew up in slavery and trying to imagine what was Biddy's life during those early times. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So that that is that is just kind of it's such an emotional and spiritual journey doing that kind of work as you know as an African American poet woman in the world. Um, and then the other project I'm working on is sort of like it's really fun. It's like I'm combining dramatic writing, poetry, um, narrative to sort of create this story about, and it's all sort of set by Lake Merritt, because I love Lake Merritt. I live near Lake Merritt in Oakland. And so this, so the main character takes like this journey, this fantastical journey around the lake. It's, you know, she's on a heroine's journey in a sense that she works to um, reclaim her femininity, to empower herself through her sort of like feminine guiles. And so she meets all of these cool people along the way and she has a fairy godbrother who's like this fabulous, queer, wonderful dancer guy who's like her bard through the whole thing. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. Well, I'm so appreciative of artists like yourself who, you know, go from a creative sp- uh, space and, and provide that opportunity of expression for, for all of us. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your amazing project with us uh, and uh, for reading some of your po- poetry. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love your show. Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, I would say, as I always say, I mean, with all of my guests who come here on the program, um, I enjoy everything that they talk about and the work that they do. So I think that we should all go and support Arissa's work. You should, you can grab a copy of You're the Most Beautiful Thing That Happened, I think, at any bookstore and as well as online, right, Arissa? Well, the thing is, this book is um, it's forthcoming, so we'll... Um, oh, that's right. You all, yeah, you all got like a nice sort of sample of it. So it'll be the publication date is October fifteenth, and I'll be having a book launch in Oakland on the 29th. And so you can check me out um, on my website, arisawhite.com, where I will keep you updated when pre-orders are ready for you're the most beautiful thing that happened. Thank you so much for that. You actually did tell me that and uh, I jumped the gun I wanted I got greedy I wanted the copy now I know which is great I want everyone to have a copy and yeah (laughs) all right well we will hopefully see you then at your event uh, once the book has been released and uh, thanks again thank you so much Michelle thank you don't go away when we come back the show continues Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life. 
and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where you know you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that you know we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now. And, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating, but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, follow your passion. Follow what you believe in. Follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far.